Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me, as always, Eric Kareen. Eric, what's up, man? Um, what day is that? What's going on? It is on? a Wednesday, April 29th. Oh, uh, I gotta pay my rent pretty soon. You sure do. Tomorrow. Yeah, uh, it's, it's important to know these things. Calendars are useful. I should put out my garbage tonight because Thursday is is our garbage pickup. Um, which is all to say, not much is going on, Blake. How are you? Yeah, if you bring up garbage in the first 30 seconds of the <laughs> podcast, uh, that's probably a good indication that the podcast episode is going to go right in the bin. <laughs> I was going to say, it. what were the odds that we'd bring up garbage while not referring to ourselves? Yeah, well, now we've done both. So we're done. <laughs> that's the end of the podcast. All right, guys. Talk to you next week. See you next week. See ya. Uh, no. We uh, we have something uh, a little different this week, not not crazy different, uh, similar to when we brought your own Weitzman on to talk about his 76ers book, Tanking at the Top. In the second half of this podcast today, we're going to talk to our colleague from the Athletic San Francisco, Ethan Sherwood-Strauss, who is the author of The Victory Machine, The Making and Unmaking of the Warriors Dynasty. Yes, the Raptors championship hangover is such that here in quarantine, we are now bringing on a second author who writes about a dynasty the Raptors ended or interrupted. So uh, go 2019 Toronto Raptors. I'm excited to have Ethan on and talk about not only the process of writing that book and where the Warriors are right now, but some of the parallels between the rise of the Warriors and the Raptors getting over the hump. Uh, we'll have him on in the second half of this podcast. In the first half of this podcast, uh, we're going to talk about some of the non-updates coming out of the league side in terms of uh, return to play timelines uh, with respect to COVID-19, things like the early entry deadline for um, underclassmen in the for the NBA draft that we don't know when it's taking place uh, but first Eric I don't want to get I don't want to go as deep on the last dance as we did last week uh, I do have two questions for you though yes I have watched both episodes by the way okay the first is Serge Ibaka tweeted this afternoon that a la Dennis Rodman taking a midseason vacation to Las Vegas Serge would like to request that Nick Nurse let him go to Paris Fashion Week uh, in the middle of the season for a break. I actually think that if there's a coach who would allow that, it might be Nick Nurse. What do you think Ibaka's chances are of, maybe not this year, obviously, because this year's so weird, but the next normal season, if Ibaka is on the roster, will Nurse give him a game or two off to load manage at Paris Fashion Week? Well, Paris Fashion Week is in May or June, right? Like, so that I don't would, know. You're asking the I, wrong I, person. I, I, I'm pretty sure it's the summer or, or like late spring because it's it was in late Dwayne... February this year. Hmm. Uh, February twenty fourth to March third. Oh, maybe there are multiple Fashion Weeks. Um, there's a Fall Fashion Week. Anyway, yeah, um, it's it's plausible. Uh, you could see a scenario in which it ha- it happens. Uh, and, you know, we've we Mark Times, uh, Mark Times, Mark Stein of the New York Times wrote uh, talked to Nick Nurse about his connection with Phil Jackson, and uh, and I know having talked to Nick a bit, like he was definitely watching those those Bulls tapes when he was coaching abroad in Britain in in the mid. Uh, to late 90s and into the 2000s. So uh, he's learned, you know, a bit from Phil Jackson, both uh, on the court and off. And not that not that uh, Nick Nurse is laissez-faire, but he definitely sees the importance of, of players 
fully being able to express themselves and explore other interests. So uh, I, I would, I, I don't think Serge would ask. Uh, so I don't think that Nick Nurse would have to allow it, but it, it would be interesting. I, I think, you know, maybe Kyle Lowry asks for some time off. I'm not sure for what golfing vacation. The Masters. Yeah. <laughs> or what's, what's the biggest pro-am tournament? Um, what's the, uh, isn't there like an Arnold Palmer pro-am or, uh, who, the, 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 the old Bob Hope tournament. Take, yeah. The Pebble Beach pro-am takes place right around all-star break every year. That, that would probably be his best bet, but that would require Kyle Lowry to age at some point and not make the all-star team. And we know that's yeah. off the table. Um, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. The American Express pro-am, uh, is held... Uh, I don't know when. Anyway, uh, that that, of, you, that is what Kyle would ask time off for, absolutely. Speaking of Kyle Lowry aging, uh, you may have seen in our Raptors player survey that one of the questions was, will Kyle Lowry age or not? You can find the results from the Raptors fan survey uh, that we've conducted over the last week or so on Monday, May the 4th at theathletic.com. Uh, if you are only a listener, not a subscriber yet, we have 90 day free trials right now. You can also go to theathletic.com slash we the six. That's the number six, not the word six uh, for 40% off. Those results will be up Monday. Uh, I've got to take the weekend to kind of process them. And then Eric and I have to throw some blurbs on there, but that'll be up. And we'll probably discuss those results here on this podcast next week. Uh, so you'll find out if, the Raptors fan base at large thinks Kyle Lowry is going to age or not. Eric, my second last dance question for you, and you kind of mentioned it, or you kind of touched on it, uh, the Mark Stein New York Times piece about how Nick, revealing that Nick Nurse spent three days in Montana with Phil Jackson. True or false, they did ayahuasca while he was out there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to go with true. I'm going to go, yeah. uh, you know, they would... I, I can't say too much about this. I mean, I don't, that's not to indicate I know anything, but I feel like I'm walking in difficult territory here. I could just see a scenario. I, I could see many scenarios in which we have an affirmative answer. Yeah. Box and one, baby. That doesn't, uh, look outside of these high school gym walls. That doesn't, uh, that doesn't come up without a little, a little free your nudging. mind. You got to yeah. free your mind. Yeah. Let me in. <laughs> let me in uh all right who knows I, I can only imagine what nick nurse is going to come out of quarantine with having come up with we're going to have all sorts of funky defenses I'm, I'm i'm very interested in montana and the dakotas i'm sure they'd be disappointing uh uh to actually go there but i know so little about them i just picture them as vast open spaces but with the possibility of mountains yeah i love hiking so hmm I regret yeah. when I drove out to Vancouver. Well, not regret, because half the point was to do the cross-Canada drive. But when I drove out to Vancouver, um, my plan originally was to drive back along the U.S. side. But instead, I flew back for a wedding and then just never went back to Vancouver unexpectedly. So What happened to your car? Um, someone else drove it back. Ah, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So anyway, cool. Uh, cool. best cool. laid plans and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of what Nick Nurse may or may not be up to in quarantine and probably leaning toward the he is not up to side, <sighs> the NBA released a statement on Monday, April 27th. 
that the NBA is targeting no earlier than a May 8th return to allow limited individual workouts in cities not subject to government restrictions. If that's a wordy enough email subject for you, uh, to break that down a little narrower, basically the league was saying as of May 8th, teams could be allowed to bring players into their individual workout facilities in areas where there are not still stay-at-home orders. What that would entail is a player you know, lifting weights or shooting on a basket, um, no players together. You could have at most one person like rebounding for them in a mask and gloves. There's a weird wrinkle where the restrictions say no head or assistant coaches could participate. So the staffs are basically going to have to draw this somewhat arbitrary line as you go further down the bench and be like, okay, anyone from here on out can risk getting sick. But anyone, you know, Nick Nurse and the top three assistants can't risk getting sick. It's John, anyone, it's John Bennett's time to shine. That's what this sure means. It sure is. It sure is. There would also require each team to have a, a facility health officer, an FHO, to, I guess, kind of keep track of everything. It would require testing of I believe Ryan Wolstadt has applied for that job. Uh, FHO. I don't know if he's the guy that I would trust for it. Yeah. Well, he's, he's a medical expert. Continue. Someone who is defined by their unreasonableness should not be in a public health office but uh you know lots of people are in public office that that shouldn't be based on their their unreasonableness so um we bring this up not because it's a tangible update obviously may 8th is still more than a week away we are in a city in toronto where there is still a stay-at-home order um you know, that could potentially be lifted by then, but it certainly doesn't sound like anyone is expecting that anytime soon. The Raptors have been fairly adamant in, you know, the conference calls we've had with Masai Jiri and Nick Nurse and just in their general approach to things that they're going to be on the more conservative end of things and that the value they're placing a premium on everyone's health and safety first. Uh, that's before even getting to that. Not very many of the Raptors are left in Toronto. We have guys who have scattered around uh, to their homes in the U S as travel restrictions allowed post quarantine. So uh, I don't think it's particularly realistic that we'll see Raptors. Well, we won't see, cause we're not going to be invited for months and months still, but I don't think there will be Raptors at OVO athletic center anytime soon. Uh, Eric, what was your read from this other than, you know, the, the, immediate spat of reports that was like, yeah, a lot of teams don't like this. Yeah. It's hard for me to, I mean, what the, what the league landed on is so wishy-washy and because what you mentioned, the players are so scattered. I don't really think it makes much of a difference. Like how many, uh, there, there just aren't many guys in Toronto right now. And the, Teams are not going to, I doubt, are going to send coaches during this time to go, you know, across the continent to go be with them. That would be, you know, possibly violate orders and at the very best, just unsafe in general. Uh, So I don't think it's much in the way of progress. You know, any sign that the league is considering opening up even a little bit is obviously going to make waves but i i like how many teams are are really together right now probably more in in the warmer climates or or the places where nba players tend to congregate your los angeles los angeles your you know if you have a coach in or not a coach but there's probably a bunch of people in vegas we know norman powell's in vegas um 
Florida probably has a lot of people. Terrence Davis was saying he's in Florida or was in Florida. He's in Mississippi now. Is that correct? That's correct. We just got off a conference call with him. And so that's that's kind of the other thing is the league is also saying players can't work out at public rec facilities. But you have guys right now who have situations like um, Terrence Davis, who has a trainer and a private gym he can use while there so he's and, in and a I would, setup I, I would think most players have found a way to work out with a ball whether you know maybe in not not in in ideal situations maybe it's on a driveway or maybe it's at a home court or whatever but you know there aren't many I don't think there are many players that haven't touched a ball in a while so going from there it's like what are you getting you're getting an extra uh you know, set of team eyes on the player, but it can't be a coach or an assistant coach. Like, it, it just doesn't, it, none of it seems very tangible to me. It all seems ephemeral and not like it indicates much of anything going forward. Do you think part of the concern, you know, my read on it was that the biggest concern is probably probably the biggest concern is that a lot of NBA people are still worried about the PR risks of, you know, and the optics of, Hey, Rudy Gobert and the NBA were kind of the first, not that it was, you know, not that they're to blame or anything like that, but they were the first ones to have a public case and things like that. Um, And, you know, the NBA is so brand conscious as well that I think they're worried about those risks. Uh, And then I think they legitimately are worried about player and staff health and things like that and understand the enormous hurdles you'd have to clear to, you know, even if this picked up as of May 8th, the hurdles we still have to clear to a return to play in terms of uh, testing and logistics and things like that are enormous. Uh, but I wonder, especially with the, speci- the specifics that this would only be allowed for teams that play in areas where the stay-at-home orders have been lifted, do you think there's a competitive balance issue to it too? Or is this like, are these workouts so vague and this so early relative to when we might come back that that's not really a part of the concern i think there's a bit of a competitive issue that has to be at play why else would they mention assistant and head coaches specifically other than that uh you know there i i guess the implication is that there's some sort of strategic or you know advantage that can be relayed by head coaches and assistant coaches that might not be put into into play with you know your lower down the the pole staffers which i I don't really think would matter that much and and i wouldn't i don't think the league is this it's the main concern and i i've it's funny you mentioned this i've been talking to my brother who works at Canadian Press. He's normally the sports editor, but is doing a lot of work on the news side since the uh, COVID-19 crisis came to uh, North America. And we were talking about sort of the different approaches of different locations and leagues. Like, And he's talking about Ontario versus Quebec. Quebec's, of course, opening up their schools in certain situations where Ontario, when it released its reopening plans, uh, reopening the economy plans earlier in the week, they were very, very vague, I would say, as to what would happen. And you can sort of throw the NHL and the NBA in there. Like the NHL is, while they don't have plans, they're certainly throwing things out there as trial balloons. Like, let's have it in four cities or three cities, and we're going to have all the players congregate here. And there's been much less of that 
from an NBA standpoint, there's there's definitely a we're waiting and seeing and let letting the virus be the guide and the health officials be our guide and we're not going to get out there and, and make plans because we've already seen they had plans before this all went to hell. Like they had plans to try and continue to play. And uh, we saw what happened with Rudy Gobert and, and Utah and the situation that followed. So I, I don't think they want to be caught twice having plans scuttled. Uh, and, and they definitely don't want to be seen as ignoring scientific uh, the scientific uh, approach and, and, and logic when their previous effort to maybe do that did not go so well. So I think PR is is the biggest reason probably for the the vague wording there. I also think we're in an extremely vague situation and acknowledging what you don't or can't know is a pretty good sign that you're taking it seriously and taking the right approach. They're not not coming up with a plan because they're lazy and don't want to make the money. They're just being honest with the situation that we don't know. Yeah, I want to... We got to normalize not knowing. I want to clarify that I don't think it's wrong. I don't think they're like yeah. cowards for not saying anything. I, I'm just trying to get behind the reasoning for that. I, I think it's absolutely, uh, you know, both from a PR perspective that you don't want to get people excited for something that might not happen and just a rational perspective, which is we don't know what's going to happen because this is pretty much unprecedented. Like all those reasons sort of back up the NBA's wait and see approach but like if you think behind the scenes they're not coming up for you know scenarios uh, with scenarios upon scenarios of if this happens then x if this happens then x like they i'm sure they've got all sorts of plans and uh but you know the wisdom of leaking those and really talking about them sort of escapes me so i i think the nba is going to try and stay as as uh vague not vague but they're going to try to take it as slowly in public as possible and when they have a you know definite idea of how they can go forward then they'll release those plans but not not before that it just doesn't make sense one other item that exists in ambiguity and uh is worth mentioning at least um the deadline for early entry into the 2020 NBA draft was this week. The NBA released the full list of 205 players, 163 from the, from colleges and 42 internationals who have filed as early entry candidates for the 2020 draft. Now, normally those players have until 10 days prior to the NBA draft to withdraw. We don't know yet that the NBA draft is going to take place as scheduled at the end of June. If the season resumes at some point, it stands to reason the draft would be bumped after the season. Uh, We don't have quite the clarity on how eligibility rules and things like that will be massaged around that. However, just to note quickly, there are a few Canadians who stuck their name in uh, early for the 2020 draft. Those include Marcus Carr, whose brother Dwayne Otis, you may know from the last two years with the Raptors 905. He's had a really nice season, uh, really fills the, the score sheet. Nate Darling, who has a, a Nova Scotia product, who, who's really taken a jump as a scorer. Uh, AJ Lawson and Andrew Nembhard, who you may remember from this kind of process and buzz last time of year. Nembhard, by the way, sa- signed with the same agent as Pascal Siakam. And then Kareem Maine, who technically isn't coming from a college, he qualifies as an international. He he has 
said that he would probably stay in the draft if he's guaranteed to be picked. His name has also been attached to that new G League program that siphoned some of the top 2020-2021 recruits away from the NCAA. Uh, a lot of unknowns here. As we get clarity on this kind of thing, we will begin talking about things like who the Raptors could look at. The Raptors actually have a first-round pick this year. Uh, they have a second-round pick Yeehaw. as well, in, unless they deal it later. Uh, and then we understand that there's obviously an appetite. Even in a, this is probably the weakest Canadian draft class in several years, uh, and it's a risk for the the streak of a Canadian being drafted every year to end. But we've also seen in the last couple of years that players like O'Shea Brissett and Lou Dort uh, have maybe not developed to their full potential in the NCAA, and they instead have kind of taken off once again in an NBA system uh, or in a G League system. So still plenty of reason to be optimistic about players like Nembhardt, who really impressed Nick Nurse with Team Canada in the summer, um, like Kareem Maine, who has all sorts of upside. Um, and then even, you know, Darling Card, Lawson, those are all names to uh, keep on your radar as we move through this process and as we, in theory, get clarity on it sometime soon. Um, we will surely try to have Sam Vecini, our top draft guy, uh, on to break down some of the Canadians and some of the Raptors options as well. Not today, though. We're now joined by Ethan Strauss, our colleague at The Athletic San Francisco, a Warriors beat writer, excellent Warriors beat writer, and the author of The Victory Machine, The Making and Unmaking of the Warriors Dynasty. It's available wherever you buy books online from Public Affairs. Uh, I read it last weekend in one sitting. It is excellent. Ethan, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and thanks for having me, and thanks for that spectacular intro. I would correct one thing, though. I can't claim the beat writer status. I that life, that life is behind me. It is a tough life. I cannot, I cannot claim to go through the kind of insane grind that one Anthony Slater does. I'm, I guess, I'm just a general writer. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I got, I got soft, folks. I got soft. I couldn't do hundred <laughs> game seasons anymore. So I'm just a general writer now. I mean, look, every time I've been around the Warriors, you've been around. So, and I mean, the yeah. volume you put out is, is close enough. So, uh, but yeah, you guys have so, you guys have so many guys out on the Warriors, around the Warriors that. Yeah. yeah. Well, to quote Colin Cowherd, my favorite thing that's ever been said about me, uh, a young man who's covered the Warriors forever, <laughs> which I don't <laughs> understand how that, how that really works, but I, I like that description. <laughs> I guess beat writer is determined by how many Marriott points you have. That That's the official like bar. I'm just glad that you kind of you and Anthony have the relationship where you you've said, "Well, I'm just, you know, I'm I'm a writer about the Warriors. He's he's the main beat writer, whereas Eric will work in that he's the lead writer, the lead Raptors mm. writer wherever he possibly can." So, it's nice nice that you guys have a a stronger working relationship over there. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sorry that you guys have a terrible one. I mean, I'm happy to write that about all that drama as well. You know, now that I'm done with this book, I can I can fixate on it. I sometimes wonder how interesting it would be if somebody just laid out all the internecine conflicts of media um, <laughs> in a book. I don't want to do it because I want to have a social life um, at some point. Uh, and there are cautionary tales about people who write such books. But I think we always say... And I remember when I was at ESPN, they would say, people don't care about the media. They don't care about the media people. I think when it's dirt, people care. I think that would be very interesting. Well, look at like how the ESPN, the book, so was that what it was called? I might be... Uh, these guys have all the fun. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like yeah. That, that book sold really well. And it was, I mean, it was partly a business book, but it, a lot of it was dirt. And like, that's a lot of what was out there in terms of the... 
in terms of the blurbs beforehand. And, and I, I think a lot of people read that book. It probably didn't do as well as the SNL one, but I don't know. I'm just basic. I read it. Be wrong. I, yeah, I read good. it. I enjoy, I I enjoyed it. Um, and I think it's also that we present such a veneer to the public where there's a lot of group chat grousing about one another, and I think it's a good thing that we're cordial on the face of it. I don't want to be like politics <laughs> Twitter where we're just saying awful things about each other all the time <laughs> for the entertainment of strangers. I like that we have a little bit of formality and and cordial. A cordialness, for lack of a better term, um, but there's obviously a lot simmering beneath the surface. How could how could it not be like that? Especially here in Toronto, we got the the Kareen ego machine, the making and unmaking of the Athletic Toronto. Uh, <laughs> mm. We got it ready to go. Uh, that it would be a much less interesting book than the Victory Machine, the making and unmaking of the Warriors Dynasty, which is available everywhere now. Uh, there's also an excerpt available at the Athletic. Dot com. Uh, if you search Ethan Struss's name or you search The Victory Machine on The Athletic, you can find that. Uh, I urge you to check that out and check the book out. Ethan, how has the first, like, how have these first couple weeks since the book came out been for you, like, at a personal and professional level? Uh, you're, you have this book that a lot of people are talking about and a lot of people are really interested to read. What's that been like for you? It's crazy. Somebody shows up at your house and welcomes you to the secret society of authors. Um, and there are speakeasies in quarantine. And uh, you go on in there and they give you your pipe and they give you your, uh, your your scarf or your beret or whatever pretentious accoutrement you want. I don't know. This is what Marcus Thompson laid out for me, that everything would be different. <laughs> everything would be different after this. And Maybe it would be in certain ways, but we live right now in a time where it's Groundhog Day every day. So I've look, I've enjoyed having a project right now, considering what's going on, just to get forward forward momentum on something. Um, it's been a lot of fun to see the reaction. I've been very happy with how it's done sales wise. Um, it exceeded my expectations, and it's cool. It's cool to have something semi permanent. And get that over the finish line. And now that I've gotten through all the anxiety um, and self-doubt of the whole thing, I'm, I'm rather happy with it. Do you feel uh, yet like a movie star who's doing all the press rounds and who's just sort of quoting himself talking about the book? Um, I, I feel like I, we, we do versions of that anyway, don't we? When we do podcasts where we have our little bit, maybe we have our analogy. Um, and I sometimes find myself getting better at it and getting better at the display of it. And then other times I find myself not as present as I should be in doing it. Um, but yeah, there is a little bit of a press junket esque book tour. It's a completely virtual book tour though. You know, I was supposed yeah. to do readings and whatnot. So it's gotta be virtual. And it's a little weird in that you're never quite sure how it corresponds to actual book sales you know you feel like it's good to do the to do the rounds you know i'm excited to talk i'm excited to talk to you guys not just because i know you and we're colleagues but you know i figure in my mind in my greedy greedy mind i'm thinking like yes the canadian market untapped that's a new one right there <laughs> yes i will lie to them i will say there's a ton of raptors in here mm. you know i so you start getting very cynical about it and you start wondering you know which market you're really hitting and how yeah, I think there obviously you don't talk a ton about the Raptors uh, in this book, but I think there are at least a couple of parallels 
uh, that are interesting to a Raptor perspective. Um, one, obviously, being that the Golden State Warriors lost in the NBA Finals to the Toronto Raptors, um, and that's kind of a you know big what if, or even if it at some point became an inevitability. Uh, the other big one, though, is that the Golden State Warriors tr- transitioning from Mark Jackson to Steve Kerr pretty strongly parallels the Raptors transitioning from Dwayne Casey to Nick Nurse, um, both in terms of the timeline for those teams and the philosophical reasons why. And I was just wondering, you you were around the Raptors a lot during the finals last year. Um, did that stick out to you as, as something like, hey, I've seen this before, having been around the Warriors? I mean, a little bit. It's a little similar, except uh, Warren Legary got paid a lot more in your situation than in the, <laughs> than in the situation I was around. Um, yeah, I think, and you see that in the last dance with the jump from Doug Collins to Phil Jackson and, um, with nurse, I'm not sure if with nurse, it was more of a system completely unleashing the team nurse just seems to be, uh, just good all around. And I even, I even wanted to dabble maybe writing about him just because, I mean, he seems like he's the most underrated coach in the league where he's always trying things. He's daring strategically, I think, in a way that I don't associate with Kerr or Phil Jackson. Um, You know, he's a little bit more. I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Nick Nurse reminds me a little of Bill Belichick, um, just in how he tries a very bold strategic maneuver to make you play left handed, as as the quote goes. and how he'll do the boxing one and Steph will mock it. But guess what? The boxing one was the smart way to go about things. And so he is certainly, he's a really interesting figure to me. And, you know, if I could do the book all over again, or if I had more time, I probably would have wanted to get into that, even if it wouldn't have fit in necessarily to the warrior story, just the way in which um, he pressed the right buttons on that title run. Uh, very impressive to me. It's funny yeah, you, and, yeah. Oh, I just had one one follow up to your point about, you know, Nurse being this this guy who's kind of ahead of things and tries a lot of things. I remember, I believe it was before the start of the 2018-2019 season, Ethan, you wrote about some trends that you could potentially see happening in the NBA, and one of them was the defensive idea of abandoning the chase where if you get beaten the pick and roll and the help comes, well, why don't you recover back to the help's man instead of back to your own man and then the help recovers back to his own man. And that's something the Raptors have done a ton of uh, this year as well, and they've kind of taken it to a to a bit more extreme than that. But I think you can take a little credit here. Oh yeah, well I give. I mean that's why Nick Nurse is such a genius. I give him all his good ideas. I mean obviously, yeah, the athletic subscription and, paying off. Yeah, it's paying off, and you know I call up Warren Legary, and he pipes it into Nicky Nurse, and then <laughs> you guys have a championship. You're welcome. Um, I just see him as somebody who isn't phased by conventional wisdom. And that's something I respect a lot, especially for a first year coach. Um, that to me is really cool about the job that he does. I'm trying to remember his innovation on, um, on calling the timeout at center court. That was something that, that caught Kerr's eye. If you remember in the finals. Yes. Yeah. So um, I guess if you call it in the middle of the floor, you can pick which side you inbound on, whereas most guys yeah. run it up to the hash mark and then you're stuck on that side. Yes. Um, so he's just always looking for little market inefficiencies and doing things in the unconventional way. And man, I wouldn't want to, 
you know, I wouldn't want to step on your toes, guys. But I was, I had half a mind in this terrible Warriors season to just start watching some rap, some Raptors games and trying to figure out um, what is this guy, what level is this guy on, what is he doing that's truly innovative? Because I do see him, I do see him as one of the best coaches this early in his career. Man, well, you you guys let me write about Michael Mulder, so by all means, we can we can create space <laughs> for you to write about Nick Nurse. Hey, he 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 impressed. He impressed in his cup of coffee here. Yeah, um, we hear a lot of barking in the background. Uh, I wanted to ask you about Draymond Green. It's a small, um, small... <laughs> um, uh, not not in the book, but you know he's got in his war of words, and we'll get back to the book, I promise, with uh, Charles Barkley about rings and how much they count. And then the other day, he was saying how if Kevin Durant had been healthy, they would have beaten the Raptors. And I, I don't know if he was talking about the asterisk or, or whatever, but he was sort of diminishing the ring that the Raptors have. Can you believe that Draymond Green is offering such intellectual inconsistency in his arguments? Mm, mm. Well, if I've learned anything from the Kevin Durant experience is that uh, NBA superstars are nothing if not consistent. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, or NBA stars, I should say, I feel a few different ways about the whole Draymond, Draymond thing. Um, on the if Kevin Durant was healthy, um, the thing I, I look at it like injuries as probabilistic, just like everything else. And it's part of what an organization needs to do is they need to prevent injury. You know, you're you have uh, you have McKechnie out there with the Raptors for a reason. You're, you're paying that guy for a reason. Right. And so that's part of the whole thing. I don't look at it as just purely luck. You know, the Pelicans would have questionable hiring practices for their training staff. And year after year, they'd rack up the injuries and year after year, they would lament their terrible luck. And maybe it's not just luck. Maybe these aren't just freak injuries. And certainly in the case of Kevin Durant, I'm not going to claim that they screwed something up, but we don't really know. And maybe they could have done a thing or two better. Who knows? Um, if he was healthy, do they probably win that series? If I'm honest, I say yes. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I, I think but, I would as well. But, but the Raptors' performance in that series was also truly impressive. I mean, look, there's just nobody can compete with the top line talent that the Warriors had during this run of a closing lineup of Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, Andre Godala, and Draymond Green at center. Like, that's just ridiculous. That's decadent. That's why people hated it. It seemed like it was too much. It seemed like it was rigging the game. So, yeah, I do agree with that statement by Draymond, but I also think you don't want to diminish. The Raptors, because they just came in wave after wave after wave, hitting big shots, a lot of smart veterans. Um, it just felt like a quality, a quality team that could have folded at certain points and didn't. And so I, I guess I feel very ambivalent about the whole thing <laughs> where, uh, yes, uh, injuries helped maybe in the way that injuries helped the Warriors win that first championship. But the Raptors also uh, submitted a fantastic performance. And to your point, uh, just quickly, these were to Durant. He suffered two soft tissue injuries in the in the in the playoffs. These are McKechnie. Aren't... McKechnie would never. He would never. Allow <laughs> I, I, I'm not saying that. Like, <laughs> but like that's not a sprained ankle where you step on somebody's foot and and it rolls. Like these weren't necessarily freak issues. Uh, you know, you could see a world in which y you can monitor this stuff and can foresee the risk going up, uh, mm. which is to your point. Yeah. You're just throwing fellow Canadian 
Warriors uh, doctor and trainer, uh, Rick Celebrini, just right right under the bus there. I see. I see what's going yeah, well, on. Well, why didn't he stay in Canada, the coward? Yeah, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> he was this in Vancouver. You're, you're only doing Van- for Canada. Yeah, he, and he was in Vancouver too. You know, it's like a nice place. Like, what is it? What is he doing? Come on now. Speaking of Canadians that Canadians have turned their back on, how's Andrew Wiggins doing? Oh, (laughs) I think he said his favorite team growing up was, I can't remember. It was an American team, though. That was interesting to me that he wasn't a Raptors fan growing up. So file that one away. Yeah. Not like Kevin Durant, noted Raptors fan. Yeah, noted giant Raptors fan. Uh, Or uh, Kawhi Leonard. Um, Yeah, I mean, it seemed like it was going pretty well in the short stint. I mean, I don't believe that he's going to become a radically new player, but I suppose the Warriors needed a wing. The Russell situation just wasn't working. And now, out of this whole thing, they get a, a draft pick, which... Uh, that's fairly valuable if you don't think the Wolves are going to be very good next season. So, uh, yeah, I think it's an okay trade for the Warriors. I'm not expecting Andrew Wiggins to become a totally new player, uh, but it's conceivable that he can score with average efficiency when flanked by, I don't know, two two of the greatest shooters ever. Uh, perhaps Wiggins' relevant quote, and certainly a Raptors' relevant quote from the Victory Machine, you write, if a coach isn't optimizing talent, massive talent evaluation mistakes can occur, the kinds that cost franchises tens of millions in misallocated salary. Uh, boy, the Timberwolves would have loved to have read your book before <laughs> that contract extension. Uh, Ethan, one more question for you, just on kind of a personal slash professional level. How... I, I don't want to say fun necessarily, but how interesting has it been after years of covering finals runs to now pivot to where you're writing about like potential sleepers with a top five pick or guys you like high in the draft? Uh, you haven't had to do that really for a few years. I love it. I I want to get it. I wanted to get in on that forever. I, I like prospects. I like summer league. I like wondering oh man, is this guy really going to pop? Am I finding something? I channel my inner Jerry Krause and not just when I'm dancing, you know, (laughs) I'm looking for that. I'm looking for that player that other people don't know about. So it's been fun and thank God for it during this period of time where we have no sports, where I can rely on following the college basketball season and the Australian league season. Um, And to a certain extent, uh, Euro League, um, and I can rely on that backlog of having some grounding in it. So, uh, it's frankly, it's been refreshing. It's been refreshing just to not do the whole thing over again and have a bit of difference. I've enjoyed it. Uh, if you're wondering, guys, Sam Vecini does our regular mock drafts at the Athletic. Uh, he had a new one come up on Wednesday, April 29th, uh, and in that mock Tyrell draft, Terry. obviously, we don't know a lot of things about the lottery and who's staying in and what the timeline's going to look like. Uh, he had Obi Toppin going to the Golden State Warriors at number five, and he had mm. Isaiah Stewart going to the Raptors at 28. But if you're trying to project who's going to be available still, not just you in the what? draft, but in terms of who's been picked, man, I like trying that. To project I, the tw- you don't like it, it? No, no, I like that. I like that for both teams. I think Stewart might be, uh, people might be overthinking it, and he, because he doesn't have a game that's tailor made for the NBA, they're ignoring how. He looks like he's 25 as a freshman and is just strong as hell and scores efficiently and has potential for hitting three-pointers. So I like that pick for the Raptors, and I would want to see what Obi Toppin would do as this just incredibly talented offensive player on DHOs with Steph and Clay. I think that would be pretty cool. So, I, you know, it's, uh, those, are, those are both intriguing to me. I like both of those. 
Yeah, Isaiah Stewart, the the fact that the first thing that come up about him are the things people think he can't do, it just, like, it raises flags that this is a Raptors guy. It's <laughs> like, all right, well, everyone else is talking about I mean, why he can't be a pick. You're, you're talking They're, about the second-ranked high school player in the nation going into this yeah. college season. Yeah, so. if you could get him at 28, the value there, if you believe in your development system, which the Raptors obviously do. And not one of these guys where he's the second-ranked college player in the nation, and then he stinks into that first uh, college basketball season. No, he was really damn good. He was his best. He was his team's best player. So uh, it's more the conventional wisdom about big men and everything else that's uh, that's sinking his draft stock. Um, because I think, yeah, I think he was he was pretty good. Well, Ethan, as you your book. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Eric. Uh, I was going to say your book touches. I mean, as much as it's about how the war- Warriors created this dynasty it's about how difficult it is to maintain said dynasty uh it obviously ended from a a, you know with durant leaving and with the raptors winning that finals let's take a trip to a hypothetical world let's say durant comes back in game five and he leads that improbable comeback and and the warriors win in seven is there any world in which they try to run it back or was this done i think kevin was leaving no matter what i mean he had moved 35 ventures his media company to new york city by then and had hired a bunch of people uh telling them that they would have to go to new york city by then so i mean maybe you just continue to have your in-house uh media arm your brick and mortar uh, across the country or maybe you move it all back because you changed your mind but i think the die was cast i think it was finished i think he was out and if he could have sailed off into the sunset, having given the Warriors a championship in the way that Kawhi Leonard did, um, I think that would have been good for him, but it would have ended much in the way that Kawhi Leonard's run with the Raptors ended. Womp womp. <laughs> yeah, understandable. Um, guys, you can read more about the making and unmaking, as it were, of the Warriors dynasty uh, in The Victory Machine by Ethan Strauss, available now wherever you get your books online uh, it's very good and i strongly recommend it uh, and what else are you going to do with your time this next little bit anyway uh ethan thank you so much man we really appreciate you coming on appreciate the insight and uh i'm excited to see you pivot to things like draft coverage i am still in the process of catching up so i will uh i'll try to get there with you on isaiah stewart well the thing to know is uh first of all Please leave me good Amazon reviews. Very appreciated. It helps me a bunch. And second of all, Isaiah Stewart, as a freshman at Washington, 63% true shooting. Uh, Very efficient scoring for the young man. So, you know, keep that one under your hat. All right, man. Thank you so much for this. Uh, Guys, again, uh, excerpt is up at theathletic.com. If you go to the San Francisco site or the Warriors site or you search Ethan's name, uh, theathletic.com slash we the six. If you don't currently subscribe and you'd like to get 40% off a subscription and Ethan's book is called The Victory Machine, The Making and Unmaking of the Warriors Dynasty, available online wherever you get your books now. Ethan, thanks so much, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Eric, thank you. Thank you, Blake. See ya. See ya.